chapter twelve of early days of old oregon by catherine barry judson this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twelve fort vancouver and dr john mclaughlin about three years after donald mackenzie in the employ of the northwest company of montreal had built fort walla walla that company united with the hudson's bay company this english company was very famous its charter had been granted for a hundred and fifty years but all its trading had been in the country whose waters flowed into hudson bay now by merging with the northwest company they had a license to trade in the oregon country many changes were made in the trading forts within the first few years in eighteen twenty four the hudson's bay company decided to abandon fort astoria at the mouth of the columbia and build a central fort farther up the river there were many reasons for this one was that astoria was too damp for the firs in the damp coolness of the lower river also farming was poor therefore all the food supplies had to be sent from england this was expensive another reason was that firs would keep better in the drier sunnier climate at the new point this new place now the city of vancouver on the columbia was nearer the upper country the brigades would not have so far to come and they would be nearer many indian tribes who had many furs dr john mclaughlin six feet tall and more blue-eyed rosy-cheeked white-haired was sent to take charge of the fur trade of the oregon country he it was who decided to build the new fort and he called it fort vancouver nearly a mile back from the river on a broad high prairie they built the first fort vancouver this was begun about december eighteen twenty four all the men were up there and all the furs had been carried there by may eighteen twenty five although the fort was not completed fort vancouver had no blockhouses for the canoe indians of the columbia river were rather friendly to them they were not so warlike as the horse indians east of the cascades still there was danger in the earlier years of the fort not long after coming to the new fort dr mclaughlin heard that many indian councils were being held in the forests near by many strange indians appeared if the indians could get all those trading goods without bothering to trap beavers so much the better beaver skins were used to pay for the goods the white men were few the indians were countless at once dr mclaughlin saw the danger he sent out indian runners calling a council of the tribes with whom they traded the chiefs came wild and savage wrapped in their blankets they entered the gates of the new fort and squatted on their heels indian fashion in a large semicircle after a while in their slow way they were ready for a council but dr mclaughlin was not he knew how to manage indians he wanted these great chiefs to understand that he was a very great chief so he kept them waiting for him an hour but as they waited squatting in that circle in the fort yard he sent out a scotch trader who was also a bagpiper up and down the fort yard the scot strode with those wailing squeaking bagpipes clapped under his arm playing for those indians they watched that canny scot with great admiration the music of the pipes played by the bare-kneed piper charmed them the great white chief had won when dr mclaughlin came among them they were only too ready to promise peace and friendship and furs the indians came as enemies they went away as friends this victory was not all due to the bagpipes 
dr mclaughlin was a man of whom the indians stood in awe he was the white eagle chief because of his long white hair he was very commanding in manner and since he knew how to deal with indians he kept peace with them and kept them quiet this made many furs for the fur trade but also when american settlers first came into oregon it made it possible for them to take up farms without being murdered only at night at fort vancouver were the gates of the stockade shut the indians never did attack the fort four years after the building of the first fort it was abandoned the new fort was at the same point but nearer the river all the furs coming from the brigade of boats or from the indians who came to bring them had to be carried from the river to the fort all the water used for washing or drinking or cooking had to be carried from the river to the fort it was too far back so the new fort was built just high enough to escape the floods this second fort is the one which the americans knew when they came in as settlers the location was a beautiful one before them rolled the mighty columbia miles wide in the springtime carrying down great trees uprooted in the floods as though they were chips all around were the dark forests on the rolling hills which bordered the columbia and above the blackness of the evergreens gleamed the shining white of the snow-capped mountains mount hood being in full view one of the nearby chiefs named Kasinov, though his name is spelled in many ways liked to receive much attention from the white men he was a great chief he had many slaves and many wives which showed that he was a rich man when Kasinov came to the fort to trade furs he was paddled in his great war canoe by his slaves he was received at the river bank with ceremony by the traders as he walked the short distance to the fort his slaves went ahead putting down otter skins and beaver furs on the road so that the feet of the mighty chief might not touch the earth after the furs were traded and he was about to return to his canoe the fur traders sent their servants ahead of this great one they in turn covered the earth over which he walked with the blankets woolen goods calicoes and clothing which he had bought perhaps it was a little hard on the furs and the blankets if the weather was not fine the life of the traders at the fort was a busy one the gardener was busy in his garden among the vegetables or among the fruit trees setting out new trees pruning the old and guarding them fruit was precious in those days eight thousand miles of ocean and two thousand miles of land lay between fort vancouver and the fruit trees of england or of the states america was a long long way from oregon the farmers ploughed the plains near the fort rye and wheat and oats and peas and potatoes were sowed wherever the soil was good swinnards looked after the large droves of pigs herders tried to manage and tame the cattle which had been driven up from mexican california over the mountains and across the rivers hundreds of miles to fort vancouver some of the best were sent by ship from london loggers were cutting down the trees so that more land might be cleared for the wheat and rye the sawmills were busy sawing timber which they sold in the hawaiian islands in the fort itself men were always busy there were furs to be beaten and brushed to keep them from becoming mouldy or eaten by insects in the indian shop the trader stood at his little window and bought the furs the indians brought in paying in blankets and kettles and guns indians were coming and going and the bright gleam of paddles from canoes crossing the river or paddling up and down flashed in the sunshine 
there was even a baker there with a great out-of-doors oven who was busy baking bread as well as meats for the hungry men often there were two hundred men busy at the fort and around it there were two great events every year at fort vancouver the first one was when the brigade of boats came down the river the second when the home ship came in from england the brigade of boats came down the river each summer in june to fort vancouver it was the fleet of canoes which brought the furs down from the upper country from far away in the north on horseback at a certain date would start the men in charge of the fort farthest away they came to the next fort where more men and furs joined them so down they came through what is now british columbia to the fort farthest north on the columbia river here they left the horses and stacked the furs in the canoes on they paddled singing cheerily to the next fort and so on down picking up furs and men all the way to fort vancouver fort walla walla was the last fort on the southern part of the journey and from there down they stopped only at night the brigade came down when the river was high in the bright june sunshine after a year of loneliness of cold of danger sometimes of hunger in their northern posts among the indians the light-hearted french canadians were very happy at each post they came in singing dressed gaily in their best fort vancouver knew just when to expect the brigade of boats the watchman was on the alert the brigade the brigade he would shout as his eye caught the first glimpse of the canoes on the river just a line of tiny dark specks and from white-haired dr mclaughlin to the little half-indian children playing about in the fields everyone rushed to the river bank down the broad blue river swept the canoes sometimes twenty abreast and in perfect line led by the single canoe of the officer in charge the union jack of great britain floated from the officer's masthead it was on a scarlet background and at the bottom of it in white was a half monogram h b c the boatmen were dressed in their finest hats almost covered with feathers or with bunches of bright ribbons and their beaded indian pouches dangling from their gay sashes brightly coloured handkerchiefs were knotted about their throats it was a beautiful sight as well as a striking one the broad green plains around the fort the charming green islands in the river the dark blackish forests coming down to the water's edge over them rose the snowy peaks of mount hood the river sparkled and gleamed in the june sunlight as the gay fleet of canoes came down with fluttering flags and plumes and ribbons the dark-skinned black-eyed boatmen sang together some gay boating song and sang in time to the dip of the paddles nearer and nearer they came louder and louder was the chorus of song while the men on shore shouted their welcome then the canoes still in perfect order still out in the middle of the blue river wheeled in perfect line and came side by side in towards the river bank once there with a shout the men sprang to the shore the danger and loneliness of the year was past for two or three weeks there would be no hunger no danger no loneliness no work these voyageurs had a good time lounging about the fort during those few weeks busy officers sorted over the furs counted them and had them made into bales workmen dusted and beat out the new furs just brought in 
from the storehouse they took the beads and knives the blankets and guns the powder and bullets and kettles as well as the rice and flour and pork which were to go back to the upper country but the dark handsome wild-looking men dressed still in all their gay finery played while those others worked when the brigade of boats went out every one was on the river bank again the cannon at the fort fired a salute the men's rifles fired an answering one all was ready gay still in their holiday clothes the voyageurs stepped into the canoes and took their places their passengers took theirs the officers and the men going home to canada or scotland or england were all passengers for they went up the river over the canadian rockies and sailed from hudson's bay at a pistol shot every paddle touched the water at the same instant and they were off again out they swept into the river singing in time to the dip of the paddles wheeling in midstream in perfect order off again for another year of danger and hard work up the broad blue river in full chorus ribbons fluttering and plumes waving until one could see only small specks on the blue water and hear only the faint sound of song such was their going the second exciting time was later in the summer when the home ship from england came in on this ship came the letters and newspapers from england every one waited eagerly for it from the time it left england until the ship reached the long line of foaming breakers at the mouth of the bar was eight or nine months once over the bar the ship came to anchor at baker's bay and sent a longboat across the river to the log cabins still at astoria the company's men held this place but now only for the convenience of the ocean-going ships a boat was ready there with indian paddlers and the mail came up the river in that way if the wind was contrary it would take a ship one or two or even three weeks to come from astoria to fort vancouver the children were on the alert for the postman who came in this canoe the moment they saw the canoe they shouted the packet the packet from the boat sprang the officer with the mail and up to the fort he went every one waited there for the mail dr mclaughlin shook hands with him and with a wave of the hand sent him where to the kitchen he had been on the ship for months with salt meat and ship's hard bread and the kitchen with all the good things the cook had ready for him there was the best place but the letters every man dropped his work and crowded to the office where the white-haired blue-eyed dr mclaughlin sorted them over the doors were full of eager men crowding each other the windows were full of heads twisted this way and that to make out an address when sorted the mail was handed out all was silent as each man read his letters but at dinner that night such a hubbub each man was busy telling his neighbour all the news in his letter for many of these men came from the same neighbourhood in scotland their families knew each other the dinner-table at fort vancouver was hardly what one would expect in a fur-trading fort in the wilderness it was entirely different from any fort that the americans ever had at the head of the long table sat dr mclaughlin on either side of him were his leading officers the others sat in order of rank and importance down the table on each side the meals were good with venison or beef vegetables of all kinds and with fruits the servants were all men the dinner was served in courses and usually the higher officers wore evening dress these officers were nearly all university graduates 
the fur trade of the hudson bay company was a regular business carefully managed under educated men it was not managed like the american fur trade after dinner the officers and clerks gathered in the bachelors hall as they called their great smoking-room the walls were decorated with elks heads and antlers the chairs were made by the carpenter at the fort there was a library of good books there and new books were sent over from england every year indeed nearly every fort even in the far north had its little travelling library which was changed every year in this great smoking-room after dinner the men talked of europe and what was happening there they were always a year behind time they wondered if war might have broken out they talked of books and authors of gardening and of the fur trade they talked of all kinds of interesting things while the great fire roared in the open fireplace and the room became blue with tobacco smoke candles were the only lights in those days and when good nights were said each man took his candle and the fire was covered there were no white women at the fort no man knew when he might be sent inland to some post among the indians and the life of a fur trader was too hard for a white woman the wives of the officers were part indian but they were quiet ladylike women often very beautiful and dressing like white women they often warned their husbands of some indian plot this is the way fort vancouver looked when captain wilkes of an american exploring expedition visited it in eighteen forty one inside the stockaded walls were four acres of ground and within these wooden walls were nearly forty buildings including a great bake-oven outside the walls were the kitchen gardens beyond were broad fields of wheat barley oats and peas with large two-story buildings where the wheat was stored once nearly all of that had been covered with trees the hudson's bay company had worked hard under patches of trees grazed large herds of cattle and flocks of sheep pigs grunted around their pens and turkeys gobbled from the trees or from under them wild geese were on the river and elk and deer in the forest there were sawmills for cutting lumber to be sold at the sandwich islands there were dairies where butter and cheese were made and shipped to the russians in alaska there were large orchards of apples and plums and pears besides other fruit dr mclaughlin was always very kind to the americans and in later years became a naturalized citizen when the immigrants began to come into the oregon country he did all in his power to aid them he lent them cattle to draw their ploughs in breaking up the tough crust of the new earth the crust was formed of matted roots and grass and was very difficult to plough he even lent them the ploughs besides seed wheat and other grains clothing to wear and lumber to build their cabins he prevented the indians from attacking them one day dr mclaughlin stood on the river bank anxiously awaiting some of the immigrants who were coming down in boats from the dales it was late in the autumn cold had set in in the upper country he knew the poor wanderers were nearly starved and almost naked he was so anxious he had come down to the river bank to watch for them the indians were watching too as dr mclaughlin stood on the river bank he heard an indian near by say it would be good for us to kill these white dogs quick as a flash the doctor rushed toward the indian he knew the remark had been made to test him he upraised his cane as though to strike him what is that you say he thundered the indian began to shake at the anger of this white eagle chief that is what the dales indian said he answered 
the dales indians are dogs said dr mclaughlin then he made the indian understand that white men stand by each other whether they were king george men englishmen or were boston men americans but for the generous kindness of dr mclaughlin king of the columbia as some white men called him and the shelter and aid he gave to the americans whether missionaries like whitman or immigrants who came to settle there would have been much suffering from starvation from exposure and from indians many of his letters which have never been published show how kindly he felt toward the americans and how truly he tried to help them but it is not true as his own letters show that the hudson's bay company were angry with him for the help he gave the americans or that he gave up his work because of that the greatest help he gave the americans was in his control of the indians so that the country was settled before the indians began to attack the americans attacks came only after the boundary was settled and the indians knew the country belonged to the boston men End of chapter twelve